forever. Dog. Just between us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Hello, I'm Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and daily shower-er. <laughs> I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bipon, bisexual. I oh my god, I just burped. Icon, and I just burped. <laughs> no! I didn't even hear the burp, but I'm glad you confessed to it. What a nightmare. That's my nightmare that that would happen during the intro, and it happened. And you know what? They say I survived my nightmare, and and now nothing can hurt me. We heavily edit this show. I know, but let's leave it in because I feel like let's let the people know that I'm I'm real. I'm flawed. Oh <laughs> I this last Saturday I had like a all day seminar on human sexuality for grad school. All day, nine to five, baby. And after lunch, the professor had like food poisoning. I think <gasps> so. She had to like keep going to the bathroom. That's a, that's an actual nightmare. Oh my god! And she was teaching about human sexuality. Yeah. But like a teaching a whole a all day class and then having like food poisoning, what a nightmare. What did you learn? I So, okay, I have a big issue with this. So I'm in a marriage and family therapy program. Yeah. And if you're seeing couples and if you're seeing individuals, sex stuff is going to come up a lot and is a big problem in relationships. Right. But literally the only class that they have on it is a one unit class that just meets two Saturdays. I don't understand why it's not a full class <laughs> that's like three units and 15 weeks long. I guess it used what? to be, but then they cut it down to this like weird one unit class that's just two days long. What are you learning in it? And why is that not a bigger part of that's going to be like a main thing? Yeah, it was very interesting. And then it was interesting because I was like talking to some of my classmates afterwards and they were like, yeah, I really don't like to talk about this stuff. I don't want to have to talk about this stuff with my clients. You're a therapist. Oh my God. <laughs> it was interesting. <laughs> wow. Allison, did you see that TikTok, that viral TikTok that was like uh, a therapist saying, please don't trauma dump on your therapist in the first session. And then all these therapists what? were responding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all these therapists were responding being like, you shouldn't be a therapist then. Yeah. Wow. That's they wild. were like, it's not okay to trauma dump on your therapist in session one. And like every therapist on TikTok was like, uh, that's therapy. No, I mean, look, like there's definitely a lot about like how to care for yourself with this kind of a career. And, and there's something called compassion fatigue mm. where like, you know, this stuff can definitely burn you out. But that's on you to, to take care of yourself. It's not on the client to, no, I know. to, you know, like that's wild. And so, and that, that a therapist would be like, I'm not comfortable talking about sex stuff is so strange because I feel like that is the one of the largest, that and money are like some of the biggest problems in the relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I was surprised to hear it, but you know, there's definitely different specialties and modalities. I, I, I would think that you would need a basic level of being comfortable with it, though, because it's probably going to come up. What were they uncomfortable with? I think the the specifics of it all. They're sex therapists who are extra trained in this stuff. And if your primary reason for going to therapy is because of 
you know, issues in your sex life, mm-hmm. I would 100% recommend going to one of those people with that right. specialty training. Even if you're just in regular couples therapy or in individual therapy, the, the likelihood that that kind of thing will come up at some point is is pretty high. Right. That's why, you know, you need to have like a basic under, understanding and being comfortable with it. But also, you know, this is something that people are saying as they're still s- students and who knows right. how they'll feel five years from now. Right. So because so much of it all is is once you're actually out seeing patients. So how much did it cover like queer and trans shit? That was the second half of the second day. Oh, yeah. I mean, I thought that that, you know, they showed a really great video about the trans experience and the impact that, you know, family support really has on on that. I mean, for the amount of time the entire class was, definitely a good amount was spent on that. But I think the class should have been longer in general. I had to push back at the professor at one point about puberty blockers. (laughs) Oh, my God. Please. I mean, just because she said something to the effect that, like, you know, people in the class were surprised by how young some people are when they realize that they're trans. And. Oh boy. The professor was like, well, I think a lot of times it's older and, you know, and sometimes people like change, change their mind or whatever. Sure. Um, Which is true. But also like mm, puberty blockers are reversible. And also they give puberty blockers to cis kids all the time. (laughs) Right. And so I was like, right. Well, the thing is with puberty blockers is like the damage of not of letting them go through puberty as the wrong gender is so much more damaging and therefore, puberty blockers aren't harmful, and so it's a great option. And then she was trying to, like, push back that they were harmful. And then I was like, um, but they're not. Oh, <laughs> well, that's why you have to be very specific when you choose a therapist. <laughs> Ask all the questions. Anyway, this is Just Between Us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. Ridiculous games. And brutal honesty, baby. I'm so excited because this week we have uh, the Mommy and Mom Muslim podcasters, Zeba Hassan and Uzma Jafri on, um, and we're going to talk all about their lives as uh, Muslim people in the U.S. and also specifically as Muslim moms. And I just, I love them so much. They're so wonderful. It was a great interview. Um, it's also always fun for us, I feel like, to interview co-hosts. Like another yeah. another duo is always fun <laughs> to see the different dynamics and everything. They're so cute and they're so like good at being like, I'll let this person. Like it's just really, they're really um, sweet with each other. Yeah, they're way better at letting each other talk than we are. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we also, later in the show, we'll be talking all about what would we change about ourselves with a magic wand? Just a fun thought experiment. Oh, boy. <laughs> Look, I'm running out of topics. No, I love it. <laughs> but before all of that, we have got to answer a listener's question. So you know what that means. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Connor, UK. Hi, I'm Connor, he, him from the UK. And the TLDR of my question is, how do you handle it when your partner has a different style of arguing slash conflict than you? Hi, Allison and Gabby. I'm a big fan of the show. I've listened to every episode and the podcast has been a constant part of my life while everything has changed. And up front, I want to thank you for doing what you do. That's so nice. <laughs> 
My relationship with my partner, they, them, is very healthy, and I'm super happy for the majority of the time. However, when we get into an argument, it's truly miserable. I'm the kind of person to try and resolve an argument as logically and calmly as possible, and I make a point of never saying anything during an argument that I don't really mean, and especially never insulting or taking a jab at someone just to be harmful. My partner is the exact opposite and struggles not to fly off the handle over small things, blowing a situation up way beyond what it needs to be and gets very nasty and personal often, bringing up sensitive topics I've told them in the past just to hurt me. They almost always make me cry and at one point have said some of the most hurtful things I've ever heard to me, even after I was crying and begging them to stop. I feel like it's worth pointing out that they have never gotten physical or even suggested to and I know that if that ever happened, I would leave immediately. I've tried mid-argument to try and softly alert them to how angry, loud, hurtful they're being, but this only escalates the situation. I had a turbulent childhood with a parent who would unexpectedly flip out and be abusive towards me, so it's super triggering and difficult to see myself feeling the same way I did as a child. Once the conflict is over, we almost always work things out and get back to normal, though normally most of the effort does come from me as they tend to shut down after an argument. And like I said at the start, the vast majority of the relationship is amazing, but I can't help worrying that an argument is going to cause us to break up once they do something that I can't forgive. I don't want to break up over this, so the only other option is working on how we handle conflict. Any advice you have would be so appreciated. Thank you, Connor. So I picked this question because I've actually, uh, I'm in a family and couples therapy class right now, and we've kind of been talking a lot about, about this stuff. So my biggest advice, which I feel like, who's somebody who repeats themselves all the time? Who? An owl. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You feel, uh, yeah, like a, a clock, like a bit, like Big Ben. This is like the exact kind of thing that couples therapy will really help you with. Uh-huh. And so it is very normal for couples to have different arguing styles. It comes a lot from how we were raised, what kind of cultures we were raised in, what our, how our families argued. It's honestly probably less likely that you guys would have the same arguing style just right, based on the fact right. that you're from completely different backgrounds and life experiences. Mm-hmm. That's my first thing. It's like, this is like textbook. Get yourself to couples therapy if that's possible. And, you know, couples therapy, it's not years long. Um, you can, you know, because I know this, it can be expensive and insurance doesn't really cover couples therapy, but it is worth the investment if it is possible to try to work out these differences. So that's the first thing is that it makes sense that you have different styles. Right. Yeah. The second thing is, is that this is non-sustainable. <laughs> right. Yes. It cannot go on like this for sure. Right. And and I think, you know, the Gottmans are some of like the preeminent therapists about couples. And I think one of the things that they say, and I, I apologize if I'm wrong, but it's like a lot of what determines if a couple will make it is how they handle conflict. 100%. And so this is obviously not going great. <laughs> mm-hmm. Some tips to help you if, if therapy isn't possible is you guys probably need to do timeouts. Mm-hmm. So you need to agree to take a breath. And so this is all stuff that you guys have to agree upon when you're not in conflict, right? So that like you have a agreement that if things are starting to escalate, that you will take a a purposeful timeout. And it doesn't mean that you won't come back to the conflict. It doesn't mean that you won't go back to trying to talk about what is happening, but it means that in that moment, it is not 
helpful to continue to discuss it the way that you're discussing it. And so you're going to take a mindful time out. Maybe that's an hour, maybe it's 30 minutes. Step away from each other to to process, to work through. You can even write down, write down what you're trying to say, write down what you want to say. Totally. I think that you're absolutely right that the relationship won't continue if Mm -hmm. this continues to be how you guys have arguments. Just because someone hasn't gotten physical with you does not excuse this behavior. I know in the past, I've said a lot of things about people I've dated where I'm like, well, they never hit me, but that doesn't excuse the behavior. One, I know you made that aside, but just for me to point that out. And two, one thing that has helped a lot in relationships and arguing is just to keep in mind for me, like a mantra of like, everyone is trying to come at this from a good place. Like, Like there's a benefit of the doubt that you have to give each other. You love each other. At the end of the day, you love each other. And at the end of the day, what everyone should want is resolution. And this is what the big red flag is for me is that when you're like crying and saying like, stop, someone who loves you doesn't want that to continue. Like they would at least be like, okay, wait, like my partner is coming from a good place. Like I feel like sometimes couples argue with the idea that that, oh, this person wants to hurt me or something. But like, ideally, everyone is coming at this with like, good intentions and assumptions of good intentions from the other person. You know, it's really tricky, right? Because yeah, like you can look objectively and be like, well, if this person loves me, then they wouldn't say these intentional things to hurt me. Yeah. But if they grew up in an environment where that's what happened, Mm -hmm. and that's how you fight, you know, like I think a thing that can be helpful is, and again, I, I don't know how responsive your partner is going to be to any of this in a time of calm versus conflict, but trying to understand why they are the way that they are, I think yeah. can be really helpful. What has, have they always argued like this? Have they always shut down after an argument? What were their parents like? Mm-hmm. What was their family like? What were those dynamics like? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the more knowledge that you have about why your partner is the way that they are is going to be helpful because- yeah. You know, it seems like you are able to sort of remain a bit more calm, even in the face of intense emotion. Um, and this person seems kind of deregulated, like that maybe they mm-hmm. they really aren't able yet to do that. And so it's not your job to fix that and to make it so that they learn how and that's on mm-hmm. them. But I think it can be helpful for you to understand why they got to that place. I try to be like, why is this happening? Like, Mm -hmm. what is this activating? What is this triggering? What is the bigger story here? Which, like Allison said, I think you have the ability to see broader. But sometimes it's like, this isn't even about, you know, you put the toothbrush away wrong, or you said something shitty to my sister or whatever. Like, it's like, okay, what is actually happening here? Like, and Allison's right. Like, what is this reminding you of? What is this activating? You know, like, what from your past or what from your history? What narrative is this fulfilling? Yeah. Knowing each other's triggers is huge. Yeah, exactly. And figuring out a way to point out, right? Figuring out a way to say, okay, is this a trigger related to this without that person being like, no. (laughs) Yeah. But it's really tough, you know, and and obviously with your background, this is especially hurtful and scary and harmful. And so I think it's one of those things where you've got to tackle it really seriously and really head on and like immediately. 
yeah, like this has to be a priority. And like, again, initiating these kinds of conversations when the person is in a, in a calm place and you're in a calm place of being like, I love you so much, but I can sense that this relationship will not be sustainable if we continue to argue the way that we've argued in the past. It does not work for me. It is deeply, deeply hurtful. And I want to do a whatever we can do to figure out how to handle conflict better. Are you willing to work on that with me? Right. Do you also want to do that? Do you also feel that way? And so that's what's really going to matter. Do you know, is like the fact that the person has this conflict style that you can't control, right? Things have led this person to be the way that they are. It's, it's their willingness to work on it is what's going to determine the, the future of the relationship. And to come to a middle ground. I just feel like I see people fight so often where it's like a feral cat or something. Like they Mm -hmm. can't see that the other person is coming at them with like love. So it's hard. I mean, I, I've been on both sides of it. Like it's hard to not do your first instinct where like your partner seems to have like the id is like the first, you know, like lash out, protect myself. Um, and so it's hard. I mean, it's like you're dealing with like a feral cat in some ways, a little animal you got to trap. <laughs> That's why I think for the two of you having these timeouts might be really might be a really helpful start. Huge, huge. But yeah, you got to You got to talk to them and you have to see their willingness. And I think that their willingness will be the biggest indicator of how much more time and effort to invest in this relationship. And what can you do to deescalate? Like even just making other kinds of ways to deescalate, you know? Yeah, but it's not all on you, you know, like, no, coming together to think about it. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, we hope that was helpful. Keep us updated. If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Up next, we have an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guests, Zeva Hassan and Uzma Jafri. Stay tuned. back to just between us it's time for the juiciest most scandalous controversial segment known to all of podcasting tough questions this week on the show we have zeva hassan and uzma jaffrey who are the hosts of the mommying while muslim podcast which seeks to support american muslim moms and the unique issues they face in a post 9-11 world hi hi hello <laughs> so happy to be here so we met at podcast movement and just like hit it off. And I got adopted by the Mommy yes. Well Muslim <laughs> slash Muslim podcasters crew. <laughs> I got taken in by the Muslim podcaster crew somehow for the whole weekend. Can you talk a bit about why you started this show in terms of like a post 9-11 world for your kids? Well, honestly, I mean, it's a tale of all times, right? When you have to deal with these types of things. And I had a 14-year-old son that got stopped by the TSA. I've never been in a situation where I've had that type of experience because, you know, I'm what they considered white passing. So so until somebody hears my name or or hears me to say, you know, I'm Muslim, they're really surprised. So as I was in an airport, O'Hare Airport in Chicago, as people coming back home from visiting my family and he got stopped, questioned, bag searched. I was alone traveling with four kids 
And honestly, trying to explain that experience to my Muslim boy that was turning into a Muslim man was a very difficult thing for me. And of course, I called my childhood, one of my childhood BFFs. And I'm like, listen, how where can I find the resources to help explain this um, and explain this to my kid without him getting angry and upset? Because of course, that's inevitably what happens. And he was just kind of, she was just like, why, first of all, why are you not traveling with a passport? What the hell are you doing? And let's, let's try to find the answers. And then trying to find the answers for ourselves, we recognize that there was a niche in the marketplace and there was a need for our community And we're one of those people or we're two of those people that are like, if it's not there, build it. And we have built it and we have an amazing community now. So what did you do to explain to him and also explain the passport thing? Oh, that's like a flying, hashtag flying while Muslim, like always carry your passport, make sure it's a blue one because everybody's going to talk really loudly so that you understand English. And when you show Mm -hmm. them the blue passport, which is the American passport for anybody who is American and still doesn't have one. It's blue. So wave it around so that A, (laughs) everybody knows that you belong here and nobody can tell you go back to where you came from because this is where I came from, Mm. you know? And I, I felt like it was insurance to get treated the way everybody else, hopefully the way everybody else was treated at the airport. Cause I've been stopped multiple times and had the whole body search, strip search and everything at the airport. And so even my infants, when they travel, have um, documentation to prove that they're mine when we go. So I was really shocked that, you know, she'd never, never thought about taking anything except her own ID. Right. Yeah. Cause, and he was asked for an ID because he was you know, he didn't look quote unquote 14. And so they were giving us a hard time as to why he didn't have an ID. And I'm like, he's not actually, I don't even think he was 14 at that time, but they were giving us this hard, hard time. He turned 14 right when we got home, but you know, and he was just like, what is the issue? I mean, he was wearing his beats. He was just kind of like a kid, like, you know, the basketball kid, the baseball kid, the average American kid. Like, why are they pulling us aside and not everybody else? Yeah. Before starting the podcast, had you and your friends had these kinds of conversations before? Was it something you were more just struggling with by yourself? You know, I'll let Ozma answer that. Honestly, I have now in learning recognized that I have a certain amount of privilege as I'm not a traditional quote unquote looking Muslim woman. So I didn't necessarily have the same experiences as some of my Muslim counterparts had. So I definitely was more of a recipient in learning about these types of things from my my Muslim counterparts. So I would I'll let Usma answer that question because she's definitely I've seen in person how people treat her differently than they treat me or with the stairs or with the this. And you know, right. she's like this text in person, like y'all, whatever. And I've seen it with my own eyes. So she definitely has a different experience than I do where that's concerned. Yeah. And so as a Muslim woman who wears hijab, I'm visibly, quote unquote, I look Muslim. I don't think, you know, for the record that there is a Muslim look because just like Mm -hmm. any other religion, Muslims come in all shapes and sizes from all nationalities, ethnicities. So we are not a monolith, but people identify me as Muslim. And yeah, you know, I've had multiple incidences at TSA um, since 9-11. And it's something that all of us who are visibly Muslim or those who look more ethnic discuss. And, you know, 
the bottom line is, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, because mm-hmm. this is all the law and this is the way things are now. It's very different than when we grew up taking our bouquets and like welcome home signs to our family members right at the gate. I don't know mm-hmm. if you all remember that. A little bit. <laughs> we are <Yeah. laughs> we are old enough to remember like going to the airport. It was like an event, but all of that went away, you know? So our kids have been born into this. And so our job now as moms is to minimize those same incidences from happening to our children. And a lot of that involves being defensive. A lot of that Mm -hmm. um, involves being preventive as much as you can Mm -hmm. and uh, be prepared. How do you talk to them about this kind of stuff? I know you guys were talking to me about like other kids calling your kids terrorists and things Mm -hmm. like that. It's funny. I'll take this really quickly because my, my oldest is actually doing all the common apps and he's, he's, he's applying to college right now. And then the other day he left and I actually sent it to Uzma. He, he left his um, application for one of the schools on the printer. So I just pulled it out. I had not read, he, he does all his own writing. I hadn't read it at that point. And his main story, like it literally started with the sentence I was born in the shadow of the fallen towers as a kid who's literally, and, and, and honestly, I've never looked at it that way. And he described this incident, you know, as the captain of the basketball team, top score, you know, you think everything's fine, um, was at a tournament and kids, because of the name on the back of his shirt, treat him and call, tell him things. When you go outside of the DMV beltway, let's just say, there's a lot of red Make America Great mm-hmm. hats. So it becomes a little bit of a different experience outside of our um, our liberal bubble. And it was the first time that I had read and experienced his perspective through his eyes and how it made him feel. Because, you know, he considers himself American, but he's more a slightly darker complected. So people treat him as the other. And it was the first time I, as a mom, saw how that actually impacted him. How'd that make you feel to read that? Oh, I bawled. Like I literally cry. Like I'm getting choked up even now thinking about it because he's being blamed for something. And and that's really, truly what it is for American Muslims. I mean, it's two decades later mm-hmm. and it still comes up in conversations. Right. And so we, we carry the, the burden with us on our back. And as a mom, you know, if something happens to you, you're like, I can handle it. But if something happens to your children, it's a very different experience. Around like what age do you start having these conversations with your kids? I think my oldest was three. You know, he was starting to put his own thoughts together and, you know, emulating some of, we were talking about like uh, the Lego Chima and Lego Ninjago and all those stories earlier. And so they were starting to talk like, you know, what they imagined their peers were. And so they would say things like, whoa, that's the bomb. I'd be like, okay. Can't say that. Especially when you're with me. Don't ever ever, ever say that. So there were words that were um, off limits. Like um, I taught them hijack, bomb, blast, terrorist, jihad, jihad. Yeah. Those these are words, <laughs> yes. but you know, jihad wasn't something that we discussed anyway. So it was like, yeah. okay, just words that might come up. Like that was a blast, you know, mm-hmm. like who knows what they're going to go out and say, cause you can never trust kids. They're such little turds and they will say things, you know, mm-hmm. and people just assume that they know what they're talking about. If 
they're a certain color. I mean, let's just Mm -hmm. be frank. Um, So white kids can get away with a lot more than kids of color. So these were discussions that we had. And it was like a whole coaching thing because we traveled a lot when, you know, Mm -hmm. and we'd still do um, barring COVID were very avid travelers with littles and didn't have any problem with it and would have these discussions with keep your voice down. And if you see something, ask me first, let's whisper and let's talk about it, but don't say these words. Now that they're older and they're tweens, they will joke and be like, hey mom, how about I say, you know, that's the bomb, like at the airport, I will kill you. I will (laughs) kill you myself, like shut up, you know? So they have, you know, slowly coach the younger ones as well into this is how we carry ourselves and this is how we present ourselves in public. And sometimes it has to look different than it is at home when it's relaxed because we want to, we have to do our own PR work, as Zeba said, because we're carrying this target on our back. You have to quote unquote, make yourself look good. Uh, I wanted to ask, because your show is like a Muslim podcast run by two women. And I know on the shows, you guys talk about like being Muslim feminists. Can you explain that a bit and uh, and like what that means to you? I'll let Zeva go first because it's been an evolution for her. (laughs) It has been an evolution for her. Like, you know, we, you know, traditionally, let's just be real. A lot of times when you think about even myself, going to admit it, when you think of um, traditional Islamic or Muslim families, you think, you know, it's male dominated. It's this. And honestly, that is how I grew up. Sadly, that really was how I grew up. Um, And it wasn't until I married a feminist and I became the mom of like my daughter is apparently she says when she gets married, her husband's going to take her name and he's going (laughs) to be the one. It's like, she's going to be in charge. So like, we're obviously doing something right. If our daughter feels so empowered, we're essentially providing a safe space for women to be able to tell their stories. And we've never had that opportunity before, right? We've never been given the mic. You can go to a mosque. And I would I would argue too, that happens a lot, even in church places and other mm-hmm. places of worship, men are still quote unquote in charge. Um, and we're not given the mic mm-hmm. and we have so much to say. So as we've evolved, I've learned to embrace the traditional term of what a feminist is. And just for everybody listening, you know, the definition is female rights and empowerment. Who wouldn't want that? Um, but I know Isma has a different take because she's more of my hard edge sister, but I've definitely had to evolve into this you're right. We are kind of pioneering a journey in a way and embracing that and empowering myself to help pass the mic to other women that should be telling their own stories. Yeah. I love initially when Zeba was like, no, I'm not a feminist. I was like, okay, well, what do you believe? And every single belief was a feminist belief. I was like, you are a feminist. (laughs) And it's not a bad word. But but the feminist is like another F word. I mean, for a lot of people. Yeah. It is. And the reason being is again, you know, all of us come from some kind of patriarchal culture mm-hmm. and society, regardless of your religious background. So, you know, Zeba and I are second generation friends. So I grew up in a household where dad was like, the scale was heavy on that side. And I think in reaction to that, I too lent myself more towards feminism, but it was more Western white, you know, the cis feminism mm-hmm. that there is now. And I realized in college that, you know, Islam was set up for feminism as well. It was Mm -hmm. already set up to protect, elevate, and amplify women who, you know, had been oppressed and suppressed for 
centuries Mm -hmm. prior, you know, in pagan Arabia before Islam came. And so I identified as a feminist back then. And I think it's one of the reasons why nobody would marry me because as soon as they were like, so what do you think about Islam? I'd be like, oh, I'm a Muslim feminist. They'd be like, that's not a thing. You know, and my parents were like, don't tell people that you're never (laughs) going to get married. I was like, well, I am, you know, and Muslim feminism looks very different than white Western feminism. And for that reason, I believe that men can and should be allies and that men are partners in this journey as Zabo's husband has partnered with her, you know, to protect and elevate the next generation of women in Islam who are growing up in a completely different environment than we grew up in in America. And I think it's important to distinguish between those two types of feminism and argue against the white liberals who say, you are free if you dress this way or if you eat this way or if you act this way. And it's like, no, I dress this way and eat this way and act this way and perform this way because I am free to do it and because I choose to do it. And I feel like I hear their brain cells exploding. Like who would choose to cover up their body? And I'm like, go to Minnesota in the winter. (laughs) (laughs) And you're a a doctor. I mean, they think Mm -hmm. there's this idea that like, if you dress the way you do, you must just be at home with the children. Right, right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how Islam sets you up for feminism? Um, So, you know, people are scared of the boogeyman. Well, Allahu Akbar are the two scariest words in the media, right? They Mm -hmm. scare the bejesus out of everybody. And all it means is God is great. And Muslims don't have a concept of taking the Lord's name in vain. So they will use the name Allah all the time. Like when they're happy, when they're sad, when they're mad, when they're hurt you know, when they're in awe, whatever. And then the second two scariest words in the media are Sharia law, which in Islam is the Quran, which is their scripture. They believe the actual words of God written down during the lifetime of Muhammad. And then the hadith or the sayings and teachings of Muhammad himself, the human being, which were not written down until at the earliest 200 years after he died. So that's why there is some difference in the way Islam is practiced in country to country, because it depends on their interpretation of the hadith, Mm -hmm. not of the Quran. Sometimes of the Quran, but rarely. People don't usually argue that. But in the Quran uh, itself, in the Sharia law, it already has chapters devoted to women. Like the fourth chapter is called the women, wherein it establishes like her rights to divorce, her rights to inheritance. And it's very specific. Like your daughters Mm -hmm. will get this and, you know, this is what's going to happen. And this is what they're uh, supposed to have in a marriage and look for this kind of a guy. There's a whole chapter devoted to Mary and the miracle of Mary. Uh, We carry the names of our fathers. Traditionally in the Arabic tradition, it's you are, whoever you are, son of or daughter of your father. Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus is the only one who is son of his mother. Obviously the miraculous conception also occurs in Islam. And so it's the elevation of Mary as one of the women of heaven who was a single mom, was not protected by any man. She walked back to her, to Bethlehem by herself, not with Mm -hmm. Joseph, not with the husband. And so, you know, the single motherhood was really, really important and elevated and honored as a result of that. And then there's, you know, It comes up over and over, the treatment of women just in that portion of the Sharia law and the actual scripture. And then the Hadith, there's countless records of Muhammad telling a woman that she had the right to divorce. A woman had the right to annul her marriage because it was a forced marriage. These are the ways that you approach your wife. Don't beat her and then expect her to put out for you. Ask her foreplay is huge. Sexual satisfaction is huge. A woman has the right to divorce just based on not being satisfied in bed. Interesting. That alone will do it. And Ozma knows all of that. And I know that stuff for sure. Like that is the first <laughs> stuff I honed in. I was like, yes. <laughs> but, you know, Sharia law is set up that way, you know, because that 
inevitably comes from God for in, in the Muslim mindset, but it's men who took all of that yeah. got rid of it because it didn't serve them mm-hmm. and, you know, promoted the illiteracy of both men and women for generations mm-hmm. and generations so that that didn't get passed on up until the sixth century in Islam, it was, but then, you know, white colonialism, Eurocentric, you know, Judeo-Christian colonialism came where women weren't even considered human beings, right? you know? And so we had rights to vote 1500 years ago. We had rights to inheritance, to keep our own names because we are not our husband's houses or their cars. We are our own people. We can change our husbands. We can't change our daddies. That's what we tell our husbands (laughs) or our partners. So all of these things existed, but through especially post-colonialism, that misogyny that was built in that women are lesser beings, you know, became this pervasive culture and practice in even this very early on feminist religion and religious cultural practice. That's so fascinating. Can you talk a bit about the the backlash from within the, the Muslim community? I think initially we were getting, well, why you? Because mm-hmm. again, you're not religious scholars and you're not any kind of experts on anything. And we were like, but this isn't a scholarly podcast. This is a social podcast to support Muslim American moms and their children. Like mm-hmm. that's what we can do. And, you know, when you're asking us why, why not? Nobody else is doing it. You know, mm-hmm. so again, going back to what Zeba said, build it. Um, and when we've had critics coming at us that are Muslim, it's typically because of a difference of opinion and differences of opinion exist in our practice and in some of our beliefs based on that half of the Sharia law that was man-made, man-written, right? Mm-hmm. So from Muhammad and generations after him, translating, maybe mistranslating, misappropriating the things that he said. And so based on that, some people will argue and they're very rigid, some of them, especially the ones who come to us internationally, because remember the ones that are international are coming from homogeneously Muslim societies. Mm -hmm. And so their practice and their beliefs and their experiences are so different. And they're doing exactly what Sharia law says you're not allowed to do. They're taking their Sharia law and trying to apply it to us. And our Sharia law is very different. In America, Sharia law itself can only be applied to the population in that place in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not one, you know, it's not one size fits all. It's very relative. And there's a lot of factors that go into deciding those things. But they're coming to us and saying, you can't do this. And, you know, women can't take the microphone. And who are you? You're not a scholar. Mm-hmm. And then definitely when we finally had the Queer Muslim Month, and thank you, Gabby, so much for helping us uh, get like amazing speakers on there. We were fully expecting it. And that was the thing. People coming and saying, oh, God save you and God save them. And this is so wrong. And we went for it. You know, they went for the jugular and I went even higher. I went straight into the back of the brain because I'm like, I'm going to brainstem you. Pithy right here. (laughs) And she did that. And I did. Every single one. Because it's not okay. Like we live in a society that is very heterogeneous. And I'm so grateful for it because it gives our kids an opportunity to see all different kinds of people. And they still decide Mm -hmm. Islam is for me. Right. You know? And so if you give people choice and agency and autonomy, they can make Mm -hmm. educated decisions and not inherit a way of life. Yes. They choose the way of life. And so this is, you know, really important to both Seba and myself. And a lot of the trolls, again, were international trolls that did not understand. And they came after us and left bad reviews and all kinds of things. And our community just stepped up because they mm-hmm. get it, that we have to have these conversations, that we have to face these truths and that we have to support all people mm-hmm. who identify as Muslim, regardless of what choices they make in their life. Right. I mean, we talked about this a little bit about the idea that a lot of times people will come after Islamic countries or Muslim countries and say, 
oh, well, you know, liberals shouldn't even support this because these countries hate women and these countries hate gay people Mm -hmm. when it's like kind of rich to me because like Christianity also hates gay people. Like (laughs) (laughs) the Orthodox Judaism that I grew up adjacent to didn't like gay people. So like, I think there's like a target unfairly on, you know, Muslims. And you guys had a a bunch of really great people on who talked about uh, Muslims in the news. And I know like I've talked to you guys and and also other Muslim friends of mine who have been like, every time there's a shooter, we're like, please, no, please, no, please, no. Um, So like, can you talk a bit about what that's like, the representation that you see? Well, honestly, the representation is they're not going to show on TV the normal Muslim people. We're not newsworthy, right? Because like right after this, I'm getting ready, taking my kids to basketball, going to make dinner. You know, mm-hmm. maybe Uzma will t- take down a troll or two, but that, that's not necessarily in my day-to-day life. What they are going to do is focus on the exotic. That's the other thing too, mm-hmm. is like we're this exotic um, religion. It's, it is one of the newer religions coming into the States, but you know, there are a lot, we're even learning, we're arguing that it came over with the slaves. So mm-hmm. guess what? Islam was here back in the slave days. We just, we're figuring out our own history. So it's not necessarily that it came over in the sixties with the immigration. What is that word, Osman, the immigration? The Immigration Act of, I think it was 1960. Uh, Seven, right? That was paved by the Black Panthers, by the way. <laughs> but that was by the Black Panthers movement. So we owe a lot to our African American, um, our African ancestors that came here before even we did. So the representation that they show of specifically it's Muslim men in the media right now is that, you know, they're all terrorists, you know, they, they beat their wives, they're, you know, a whole litany of things. And that's really what is unfairly portrayed in the media. I'm not saying that there aren't bad people. Did Muslim people, you know, have something to do with 9-11? Yes, we're not arguing that. But what we are saying is that they used the religion in vain for some other stupid political reason. And they're using their religion as a way of justifying that. Almost every school shooter is a white boy. And it's a white boy. So like, you know what I mean? Like, let's... And And we don't talk about that. And honestly, if I were in a dark alley, and this is the truth, and I said this to Osman, if I'm in a dark alley and I see an African-American man and a white man, like with a Confederate flag, I'm afraid of the white guy with the Confederate flag. Like right. I'm going to walk on the other side of the street and I'm just going to be open and real about it. Like, honestly, that is a real true fear of me because you just don't know how they're going to perceived Muslims. Yeah. Yeah. And and once they find that out, you can see people's, you know, changing their body language change, how they talk to you change. Or honestly, in my case, a lot of people speak freely about their hatred towards Muslims, not understanding that I'm a Muslim. And I I call them out every single time. So you'd be surprised by what you hear when people think you're, you're an ally to them. Yeah. <laughs> one of them. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things during our series on Muslims in the news, talking to these, you know, female journalists, there is the whole chicken and the egg, right? Mm-hmm. Did the war on terror necessitate this narrative that Muslims are bad and Muslims are violent and they need to be, you know, fought? Um, they're threatening our way of our American way of life. Mm-hmm. Whereas, as you know, Zeba said, Muslims have been here all along, you know? So, yeah. um, surprise, um, (laughs) (laughs) that, that, whether that is what was required or whether it was the media and entertainment 
that mm-hmm. then funneled the policy or mm-hmm. fueled the policy. So what was, was it program policy? Who knows? Um, I don't think we're ever going to figure it out. But as a result of the war on terror, you know, that narrative is perpetuated. And as long as we still say that there is a war on terror, I mean, we know that all of these people who are like anti-vax and are afraid of all these conspiracies and they're selling us these false stories of death and dying. Well, you bought all the false stories about weapons of mass destruction and all these like false Mm -hmm. stories about Afghanistan somehow being your enemy, even though not one of the suicide bombers in 9-11 was Afghan. So, you know, you convinced, you were convinced at that time that the war on terror was necessary. So why aren't you eating up the vaccine stuff too? I don't know. So in any case, the media has not pulled back that narrative yet. And really Mm -hmm. the onus is on them. But I think more of it, maybe 10% on them and 90% on us to continue living the way we've been living and to continue Mm -hmm. speaking out the way we've been speaking out. And it's actually, I think, they went in to protect. And even now they have to go in and protect the Afghan women, right? Mm -hmm. Because they're so oppressed and they're so silenced. Yet in our own country, we have Linda Sarsour, we have Rashida Tlaib, we have these very loud Muslim women in our country, and yet we still attack them because they have mm-hmm. a voice and they have agency. So what is the truth? What do you want? Do you yeah. want Muslim Pick. women to have voices Pick. or no? Do you want me to just belly dance for you and like serve you in a harem? Or do you want me to like Uh whip you into shape and like, you know, direct the country where it needs to go? Because guess what? Muslim countries have had more female leaders than any non-Muslim country has. Mm. So that image would be really fun too. So like, I'm all about you belly dancing. dancing (laughs) (laughs) I want to ask like, because I had such a great time at the the Nashville event that we went to. It was so fun. How do we bridge the gap between like Muslims and non-Muslims, like just in everyday life? I think like this. Yeah, we think we do this. And honestly, the reality of the situation is that we are more alike than different, mm-hmm. right? We, we want the same similar things. We want like if you're a mom, we want our kids to succeed. I don't care what religion, color, creed, na- whatever. Mm-hmm. I want your kids to succeed. And if you're coming from a place of mutual respect and commonality, a genuine interest in learning about the other person in having these types of conversations like we're having right now, I feel like that's a step in the right direction. Will it change things dramatically? No. But Perhaps it takes you one step closer, one step closer, one step closer, and that our children, which I am a big believer in, is going to do amazing things. Perhaps they'll bridge that gap, like they'll actually finish the bridge that we've started building. I think it's conversations like these that help, but also as a community, as a nation, we need to hold our leaders accountable for propagating lies. We need to hold the media accountable for propagating lies. We need to hold our community members accountable for propagating lies and, you know, I don't know, taking over democracy on January 6th, Mm. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe talk about that a little bit more and maybe actually have serious consequences Mm -hmm. for when people are othering, because this is how Hitler started, right? There was nobody Mm -hmm. that piped up and said, yo, hold on. And then 1939 just happened and didn't just happen. It was because people were silent. Mm -hmm. And we all say, if you see something, say something. But we're typically talking about people who look like me at the airport instead (laughs) of, you know, somebody's being attacked or somebody is flat out lying about a Muslim or a Jewish Mm -hmm. person or a trans person. Mm -hmm. And we're not speaking up and saying, hey, shut up. That's not okay. That is not cool. Mm -hmm. You know, my kids are listening to your hate. 
and I don't appreciate it. You know, if we all approached truth and other human beings as if it mattered to us personally, Yes. Then I think we could change the conversation and, you know, what's been happening for the last 20 years. Has the pullout in Afghanistan and Afghanistan being in the news so much, has that impacted your daily life? Have you noticed people talking to you in a different way or wanting to engage with you about it? I think I'm getting a lot of calls because I... Uh, volunteer in the refugee capacity and in the, you know, Phoenix is a big city where we have refugees come in and the refugee resettlement agencies are very active and awesome. So we're having a lot of meetings on how to support. I think we're expecting an influx of 1800 people coming. So just getting our ducks lined in a row so that we do have the right resources and have the right, you know, workflow in order to send people to where they need and get the resources to them in a timely manner rather than have them languishing here for months on end as happens with many refugees when you're not prepared. So that's the only conversation I think that I'm having. But other than that, um, you know, there was a lot of clucking early on before we finally left Kabul about, oh, can you believe we're leaving Afghanistan and Biden's so stupid? I'm like, yeah, but Trump sort of promised that to them back in February when he sat down and negotiated with the Taliban. Did you forget? That he's the one that started this domino process. And so Biden had to carry out what the fool signed over a year ago. Mm -hmm. So why are you blaming him? And, you know, why are you so surprised? Like that a nation that didn't want you there kicked you out and took over its own nation. Like that's not surprising. So it just is such an example of American, uh, what is it? Elitism. Mm -hmm. Like, why would they kick us out? Like, why wouldn't they like, you know, keep the processes that we had? It's because you did not understand that culture and you went in there illegally and immorally and unethically on the basis of lies. And this is God's kicking the ass to you. So... (laughs) Yeah. Now you see why Uzma's the one who goes after the trolls. <laughs> she's she's the troll fighter. I like troll slayer. Let's slayer. Yeah, I like slayer. I like. Slayer. And then I can have a whip in my hand. <laughs> oh my oh, god! Yes. <laughs> I adore you guys. I think everybody should listen to the show. It's so great, and it was oh. like just so great meeting you. And and Uzma had a great time going through my hinge. <laughs> She did. She was like, ooh, what is going on? But I think it affirmed your, like, you were, like, looking at it and you were, like, honestly, really glad that I had an arranged marriage because these men are awful. This is awful. This is awful. This is awful. (laughs) (laughs) This is what's out there? No, no, thank you. I'll stay at home. For all the singles out there. (laughs) I just love how we were having such a good time and none of, like, Zeba and I don't drink and you weren't drinking either. Mm Mm-mm. Yeah. No, we were having a great time. Had a ball. People would have thought we were drunk. Totally did. <laughs> our driver, our Uber driver thought we were. <laughs> I know. He was like, what is wrong with these And girls? his name was Muhammad. So it's like, oh, sorry, his name Muhammad. was Muhammad. Exactly. <laughs> he was laughing really hard at your assessment of all the oh, hinge profiles. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. that you were like, loser, <laughs> loser, no. <laughs> well, I feel very left out. We'll all have to go get you'll have to Uber come together. Next time. So fun. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to come. <laughs> Would you like to play a game show? We would love to play a game show. Yay! Okay, so hypotheticals is a game where I give you guys a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions that you might have, and then you would tell me what you would do in that situation. Oh, I like this. Scary game. Okay. It's pretty intense. Okay, so our first game is America's favorite game show, would you stay with this cheater? Mm. You find out that your partner of 13 years was on a very turbulent flight. 
The only thing that calms them when they are super anxious is making out. So they made out with their neighbor in order not to panic. Would you stay with this cheater? No. Hell no. (laughs) That is a very easy question. But what about your kids? Oh, that's okay. They don't need (laughs) to be with somebody that needs to go kiss somebody because they're scared. (laughs) Like, do you need your mom? No, you don't need your mom. You don't need comfort. That is a hard no for me. My answer would be yes. I would stay with him because I like my husband enough to where, (laughs) okay, you know, if I was in that situation, I'd probably do it too. If you were scared. If I was scared, I probably would cling to it. Like, especially hot guy. Hell yeah. (laughs) He'd have to be hot though. He'd have to be hot. That is my caveat. How hot was the person? So hot. Super hot. Mm. Interesting. And have they ever done this before? No, this is their first time on an airplane alone. Yeah. I think the first offense is a pass. <laughs> okay. I'll give yeah. them a pass. I'm very nice. She's nicer than me. I, I'd be like, well, did you learn anything from her? Like bring back some tricks, you know? <laughs> oh my God. I did want a co-wife. So She yeah. wants a sister wife. <laughs> Just for like help around the house? No, I mean, you know, to take the pressure off. Like, oh. you know, sometimes you're tired at night. It's like, over there. Look, man, I'm polyamorous. I get it. Yeah, right? It's like, I'm totally for it. Yeah. Gabby, would you stay? I would stay. Oh, man, I'm mean then. What the heck? <laughs> Why, Gabby? Because you're polyamorous? Yeah, because like, I, you know, I, airplanes are scary. I don't necessarily. I, You know what I keep thinking of? The episode of Seinfeld where... <laughs> Where Jerry says, I love you to Elaine or something because the plane is going to crash. And then it's like really awkward. So I'm like, you know what? I, okay. Like I, I could see how that would happen. And I Mm -hmm. am picturing Seinfeld. So where I get all of my information from. (laughs) Yeah. Rules don't apply when you're that high up. I think so. Oh, so so we win. (laughs) So me and Uzma win. I guess so. I guess so. (laughs) Okay. Our next game. Is this a date? You're eating alone at a restaurant. You start to hit it off with the waiter. They tell you that if you wait until closing time, they can give you a slice of every dessert on the menu for free since they throw out the extras anyway. Is this a date? We're all single in this scenario. Yeah. Is he the only guy in the place? There are other male waiters. Oh, okay. And it's 8.30 p.m. and they don't close until 11. Well, that would be my issue. I'm in bed by 8.30, girl. So I'm not even staying for the dessert. So I am a hard pass. This is not a date. I don't think it's a date. I think it's an opportunity to promote sustainability and eat the cake. Eat the I don't know. I wonder, here's my here's my whole twisted scenario that I have for, for Uzma. I'm is waiting that, for this. Like Uzma's parents are so annoyed that she keeps saying she's a Muslim feminist and not getting married. <laughs> That they've planted this waiter yes. at the restaurant and have set it up so that you think it's like a normal meat cute, but yeah. it's actually a man that your parents have chosen. Oh, oh. That, then yeah, then it's a date if my parents did and that. And they've lured you with dessert. I like that. And that's the Muslim rom-com Lifetime needs to make. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that's the Hallmark movie we all need. Seriously. Very cheap too. One location. <laughs> Exactly. Also, like, I, it's interesting that they think that I would eat one of every dessert. Well, yeah, you could try it. You don't have yeah, to eat I would all take of a it. Spoon of each. Take a bite, like a yeah. bite, a bite. Yeah. It's like Cheesecake Factory. It takes a <laughs> lifetime to go through every single cheesecake, man. You can do that all in one night. You're saving time. Have you tried that? 
I haven't done it yet. I'm on my way, but I'm still oh only a quarter of the way through the menu. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh yeah. What if this is a cheesecake factory? That's where this is happening. I bet you it is. That's the longest date of your life. Exactly. I think it is a date. I do have to share that when I was in grad school, I went to the physiology TA for help because I did not understand kidneys. It just was not getting into my head. And I was like, hey, will you help me with this, whatever? And he was like, yeah, you know, if you'll meet me at whatever for dinner, the shacks is where all of us ate and all of us met at the shacks all the time. Yeah. And he wanted to meet at six. So I was like, oh, okay. Like, we'll we'll study this over there. So I go to the shacks and he's like paying for dinner. And I'm like really confused until he says, so when's our second date? I was like, oh, shit. I just went on an accidental date with a boy. You're like, darn it. I'm going to hell. And this is why Usman needs to have an arranged marriage because she doesn't even know when she's in the middle of a date. <laughs> wow. Okay. So I'm going to say that it was a date then. <laughs> Knowing me? Yeah. Yeah. It was a date. It was definitely a date because then you have to chit chat with them for the two and a half hours waiting for the restaurant to close. Yeah. See, I don't want to do that. You've obviously never seen me eat. Yes. I cannot talk to anybody. <laughs> Especially cheesecake. That's true. <laughs> I'm like Gollum. <laughs> okay. Our final game, which is very topical for this conversation. Are you a terrible parent? No, No. I am an amazing parent. I mean, have I forgotten my children in places or like run out of diapers and used a plastic bag, forgotten to feed them? You haven't even heard the scenario. I've got to give you the scenario. Tell me on this, based on this scenario. Okay, okay, okay. okay. I was like, my answer is no. No matter what Hold on. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Your child, 17, wants to go to a music festival with their friends. They promise they won't do any drugs and are just going for the music. You don't want to be overly strict since they are almost 18, but you are worried. So you go to the festival in an elaborate disguise and spy on them the whole time. When they start throwing up from drinking, in this scenario, they do drink, you help them get home while still in costume. So they think you are a kindly stranger and not their parent. Are you a terrible parent? Do I ever reveal that it was me? No. So they're not punished? No. Not outright, but you know they never, but in your mind, they never go again. And you made sure they got home safe. Oh, I think that's good parenting. So I have to tell you, my 17-year-old, he's 18 now. He went to that Paul, what's the guy? Sean Paul? Sean Paul, he went to that concert. Okay. He was like, we're going with a whole bunch of kids. We're going to go. But it wasn't the drinking thing because I I wait up for him and I check on him. But he was like, I'm going to be home at midnight because it was like at 9.30. Midnight comes and goes. He's not home. One o'clock comes and goes. Do you remember that night? I was up till two Two. o'clock in the freaking morning. Yeah. And he comes in and he was like, my phone died. I'm really sorry. Some of the girls in his group were actually really drunk. So, and they lived really far away. So he was like, we wanted to make sure that they got home. And he goes, I don't want them to get like raped and all that stuff. So we drove them all the way there. And that added an extra hour and a half to his time. And he he was like, I should have called you. My phone was dead. He didn't have a charger. I should have been mad, but I wasn't. And I essentially told him he made the right choice because at the end of the day, I would much rather him drive the girls home, mm-hmm. make sure that they got home safe. 
and that he came home safe and explained to me what had happened. So I would say I probably wouldn't be dressed up. I'm just going to (laughs) trust that they're going to make the choices that they're going to make. So in that scenario, if I was dressed up and I didn't trust him, I obviously am doing something wrong because I don't have that trust with my kid. And perhaps I am a bad parent in that scenario. I think dressing up is wrong. That would be bad parenting. I think go as yourself and tell your child, I will also go to the music festival because (laughs) I enjoy music (laughs) and we don't even have to hang out together, but I am here if anything goes down or if you need me, I am here somewhere within arm's reach. But no, I would, I think it would be terrible parenting to dress up because that's just wrong. Because what if your kid in his drunken state hits on you? Is this back to the future? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Or it's back to Oedipus, right? Oh my God. I think you should go as yourself and just be in a different corner. Yeah. Yeah, but it's a music festival. Everybody dresses up. They do? I don't know. I've never been to one. I've also either. never been to one. Never been to a music festival. I thought if anything, you take your clothes off at a music festival. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Right? What are you picturing? Are you picturing like Woodstock? Coachella. And Coachella? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will stay away from that. It's four people who have never been cool once. So we're all like, what happens at a music festival? <laughs> exactly. It's like, what? I've never been invited. I don't know exactly. what to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I know inevitably drugs and stuff are done at those things. So it's like, okay, well, if you do do those, you will be really sick because you're super naive and then you will really want me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess that's a much more reasonable approach, but the costume full on disguise, kind of creative and fun. Very creative and fun. (laughs) Some other parent. (laughs) Oh my God. Thank you both so much for joining us. Where can people follow you and listen to your podcast? So we're on every podcast app there is. So you'll find us there. And we are at Momming While Muslim Podcast on Instagram, Momming While Muslim on Facebook. We have a really fun group. Um, mm-hmm. If we don't let you in because it's a private group, just DM us and say, hey, stupid, it's me. You know me. And I'm cool. Because we usually do not let men in because we want to, it to be a safe place for people that have whether it's our ideology or gender yeah, in common with us, sure. they have to be like-minded people mm-hmm. in order to be in that group. So, yeah. Ozma kicks people out. I kick <laughs> people out. I periodically audit and I'm like, don't know you, don't know. I told you, Troll Slayer. I will find you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. Thanks. This is super fun. I had a great time. Oh, yay. Thank you. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about what we would change about ourselves if we had a magic wand. Ooh. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for Topics. X, 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 baby. Baby. Okay, well... What a loaded question. I know, right? (laughs) Hmm. What would we change about ourselves with a magic wand? I'll go first. If I could change something about myself, I would love to eat healthy food. Oh, that would be great. Like if I was someone that was like healthy food and unhealthy food taste the same to me. Therefore, I can eat either and be happy and satisfied. I know. That sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah. What are people like who who exercise every day? What are those people like? It's so funny you say that because I exercise like 
four to five times a week and I hate it, but I do it for like my mental health and stuff. And yesterday I like finished my workout and I was like, ugh. And John was like, you're the only person I know who works out so regularly and like still doesn't like it. (laughs) Okay, we preach on here all the time. Like, oh, exercise for your mental health. And then Allison like finishes working out and is like, fuck this. Well, when I finish, I'm happy. But when I'm doing it, I don't like it. But I think that that's this thing is like, I don't know, like I, I don't, like it but I still do it because I think that the benefit is like way bigger than like the 30 minutes where I like am unhappy but to be fair I'm just on the elliptical watching the Mindy project so it could be like a lot worse yeah 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 (laughs) I want to say that I would be friendlier or something like that I would have like a better ability to understand who to trust Oh, it's hard. I don't know. Cause Mal is so good at talking to people and so like trusting. And so like, like befriends all of our neighbors. We're at where our cabin is. And Mal called our neighbor in LA to talk on the phone. Like <laughs> Mal's just like out here, like driving past houses being like, Hey, do you got, I'm going to Walmart. Do you need anything? Like if given the chance, I would not speak to another human being for like, I- I'm just very like no new friends. Like I like the friends I have no new friends. But then like Mal's just like, we're at the airport and like a woman is next to us and we're like going to where we're going. And Mal sees that the woman next to us is also going to where we're going. And Mal's like, hey, you're on our flight. Why the fuck would you ever? Like it leads to better things in life. Like it's nice. Like you have better relationships and like, you know, whatever. But I'm always just like, how are you like this, man? Yeah. I think being friendly and being trusting are two different things, though. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I'm really friendly, but I don't know if I... I guess I'm kind of trusting. Are you friendly? Like, do you, like, get to know and hang out with your neighbors? No. But, like, Mal does. Well... Right. I talk to a lot of my neighbors, yeah. On the streets. We don't escalate it to hanging out. I'm always looking for a new friend. That's true. You are. <laughs> Same as Mal. Like... And but that's just like what Mal's like, like they just and I I envy that because it ends up like we went to an amazing Halloween party, which I'll talk about in a future episode. But like, you know, we more interesting things happen in your life. And it's like much nicer. Just that's not me, man. I'm extroverted. I like to go out. I like to party. I don't know. I'm nervous because I don't know how much to share or not share. Mm -hmm. So like talking to new people, I'm like, how much do I (laughs) say versus what's too much? So I wish I had a better gauge of that. So funny because I feel like when we were younger and we would go out to things all the time for work and socially that you were better at networking and everything than me. I can network, but I have I've just been burned a few times like as I got older. And I also like I do like to talk to people, but I just am nervous sometimes about like how much to share and what and what. I don't know. I don't know. I think I was like when I was younger, I was very much like share everything. They're your friend. Everybody's your friend. And then that has bit me in the asshole a few times and not in a nice way. So, you know, it's interesting with a magic wand. It's to change something about yourself. I like keep going back and forth on if I want to go on testosterone, if I don't want to go on testosterone, if I if I want like a small dose, if I don't, if like I was walking through the airport and I was like, I'm going to go on it tomorrow. And then like yesterday I was like, no, like I can't decide. And so like part of it is like, I wish I could like go back and forth or something. Like I wish I could like some days do this and some days not. At this Halloween party, I uh, my Halloween costume is I'm Robin Hood and Mal is a, a merry man, a woodsman. <laughs> 
And I was wearing my Robin Hood outfit with my hood up and everything. And someone at the party uh, heed me, like was like, oh, those are his. And I was like, oh, moi? <laughs> moi? That's exactly what, <laughs> that is exactly the masculine response to that. Me? As I put my hands cherubically under my chin. Um, but then I'm like, I don't, I don't know. And then I want to go back. Yeah, it's hard. So I don't know. So maybe yours would be having more clarity or something. More clarity. It's also been interesting because I shaved my head and people really have thoughts. Like they will tell you if they like it or don't like it straight up to your face, which is people, they will straight up to your face be like, I like it or I don't like it. Who would say they didn't like it to your face? Older people. So I wish I didn't care about other people's opinions. And I really don't to the extent that like, I'm sure other people are like, like, I wish even more. I know people Mm. probably are like, oh, you don't really care about people's opinions, Gabby, which I don't, but I wish even more. Like I was like, some people in my life didn't immediately say they loved it. And I was like, hurt. Mm. But why do I care? I think it's normal to care. I think it's normal to care about certain people. You know, you don't want to have be swayed by everybody all the time, but you know, I think it's tied because it's tied to gender. And I see people being like, wait, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Like you change your pronouns and you still look the same. And so people are like, oh, sure. But then you like start doing things. And then people are like, mm, what, uh, what? Wait, what? I just find it really weird that anyone feels like personally affected by somebody else's gender expression. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you. <laughs> I don't know. I guess more clarity. I was I was thinking I was like, oh, I'll I wish I could like my wave of magic on change back and forth. But you were like, in real life, you wish that you had more clarity, which is why you'll you're in therapy school. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that I was somebody who just like loved getting up at early in the morning. Why? Well, I just like if, if just like getting up was easier. Like if like my alarm went off and I was like ready to ready to to greet the day versus like I wish I could sleep for three more hours. <laughs> You want to be one of those efficient people. Well, I just, I think it's hard. I just, uh, because sometimes when I sleep in, then like I feel rushed. Mm -hmm. So like if you wake up earlier, then you can sort of like have like a longer morning routine without like getting rushed or feeling like you've got to get started on stuff, you know. But do you wish that you were kind of one of those people that like kind of ran like a machine? I feel like I'm walking into some sort of trap. No, 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 no. Like, you know, there's these people that, and I don't know if they're real, but they kind of are. Like Francesca Ramsey is one of them, where it's just like, everything is streamlined. Everything is like, you know, like you wake up, you do this, you do that. Like your routine is set. Like every everything is like, you know. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had stronger routines in the past than I have right now. And I, I do like a routine, but I think for me, it's just, you know, it feels appealing for me not to have to like fight to get out of bed. Like it feels like, oh, if I just like naturally woke up at eight every morning and I felt like, oh, I'm ready to get up. That just feels like a nicer experience than (laughs) than not wanting to get up. You're like, honestly, I wish I enjoyed living. (laughs) You're like, I guess my change would be enjoyment of life. Yeah, the, the other stuff is just, you know, that like have a better handle on my OCD. But I'm obviously, I don't think I've really talked about too much on the podcast, but I've started exposure and response prevention for my OCD. 
So there'll be hopefully some changes soon. What does that mean? It's like the most intense therapy for OCD, but it's like super effective. So I'm like going to be doing a lot of exposure stuff and like I had to like make my list of like my fear hierarchy yesterday and I'm going to have to start like doing really gross stuff to like live with the discomfort. Wait, why did you decide to do that? Um, So that my OCD wouldn't uh, control my life as much and interfere with my relationship. Stupid, stupid <laughs> reasons. And how long do you have to do it for? Probably months. Oh, boy. Why haven't you talked about it? Oh, because we're still like in the early stages. So I figure I'll make it a topic once once I have more experience in it because I haven't really had to do too much in it yet. We're still we're dipping my toes in. Did you feel like you wanted to lie on your list so that you wouldn't have to do one of the things? Some of the things I'm like, I'm never doing this. <laughs> I'm just going to be like, no. <laughs> But what if you have to? It doesn't work quite like that. Like, it's a collaboration. So, okay. I mean, maybe at a certain point in a few months, I'll be able to do them. But, like, you know, I don't think it's like you have to complete everything on the list in order to be done with therapy. It's an interesting movie idea. Is it just me touching dirty stuff and then touching my apartment for 90 minutes? Um. Figuring out the list, <laughs> doing the list, finishing the list. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, good luck. That seems good. Congratulations. Thank you. Melissa, do you want to come in and talk about what you change? I don't think I'd change anything. Oh, my. Get the fuck out of here. I'm not saying that I'm perfect. I just think that, you know, things that I don't like, then I can change it. And then, like, I can work on it and change it. And then I learn from that. And then other things, it's just like... That's who I am. That's what makes me me. Wow. I agree with that in a lot of ways, except for how can I make myself like vegetables? (laughs) Here's the thing. (laughs) I don't like to eat healthy, but I make it so it's the only food that is available to me. And then it forces me to eat it. You ever heard of delivery? Yeah. Then I just don't order it. If I've spent a lot of money on, I have this meal delivery service now that that gives me food every day. Like every day food shows up to my door. And I've spent a lot of money on it. So I'm not going to spend money on takeout because I've already spent a lot of money on this food. Yeah. I would just uh, not actually be able to get it down my throat. Yeah. Um. I mean, there's a there's a salad that's sitting there that I haven't ate and I don't plan on eating it because I don't want to eat it. But if I'm hungry, then it's there. And I can <laughs> right. It. That's a very healthy approach to it all. I just needed a conversation for topics. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, what do we rate this episode? I will rate it 17 out of 13 mommies. Aww. I will rate it 21 out of 20 argument styles. Mm. I'll rate it 10 out of 9 vegetables being shoved down your throat. Brilliant. A horrific image. (laughs) Well, Allison, good luck with your OCD um, intense therapy. I think you'll do a great job. Oh, thank you. You didn't lie on the form, which is what I would have done. Yeah. So you're already yeah. ahead of the game. <laughs> thank you to Zeba Hassan and Uzma Jafri for being our guests. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa D. Montz. Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. 
And check out video clips of our podcast on YouTube at youtube.com slash forever dog team or at youtube.com slash just between us show. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at forever dog team to keep up with all the latest forever dog news. Also at Gabby road on Instagram at Allison Raskin on Instagram at she is not Melissa on Instagram and patreon.com slash emotional support lady and patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn. Bye. Bye. Forever. Yeah.